Hi, Disha. Hey, Donnie. And welcome, everyone, to Ursa Short Fiction, the podcast where we geek out on our favorite short stories. I'm Donnie Walton, author of The Final Revival of Opal and Nev. And I'm Disha Filia, author of The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. As always, this show is produced with support from you. Become an URSA member today by going to ursastory.com slash join. You'll get exclusive bonus episodes and you'll help fund future stories and conversations. Now today, we're excited to feature a new audio story by Shannon Sanders. It's called Rioja. It was originally published in the literary magazine Slice, and it's forthcoming in Sanders' debut collection, Company, to be published by Grey Wolf Press in October 2023. In this story, we meet Cole, who is taking his girlfriend, Cecilia, to a Thanksgiving dinner hosted by his aunt, Peach. It's Cecilia's first introduction to the family, and though the encounters seem pleasant on the surface, secrets, family history, and resentment run deep beneath them. Now, Disha, what else can we say without giving too much away about this wonderful story? Oh, that's tough. But it, this is such a terrifically <laughs> sly and clever yes. story. Oh, the in the, the little details, especially the little reveals toward the end. It was just delicious. And yeah. um, we meet quite a few characters in the sprawling family that's at the center of the story. But I adore Aunt Peach the most. She's so smart <laughs> and she's slick. She is yeah, so she's slick. She's slick. She's slick. And I have to say, like, I recognize this character in my own like my dad's side he's gonna kill me if he hears this but they are like very bougie people but like very educated very smart very loving in their way um mm-hmm. and so it's like this the story Rioja is just this wonderful look at bougie black families but you know the slyness that you mentioned I also love it so much you know this story mm-hmm. handles secrets so deftly And in tandem with Shannon's use of point of view, which is so Mm -hmm. interesting. So in the first scene, we have this third person narration between Cecilia and Cole. And as the reader, that's so delicious because you get a glimpse of their feelings, you know, that they're harboring, their resentments Mm -hmm. that they're carrying toward each other. And then they get to the Thanksgiving dinner and we know of this new secret that they share that they're keeping from everybody else. And then the third part is a whole different... (laughs) point of view character that I won't spoil, but she kind of has her own secret perspective on the dinner and on Cecilia and Cole Mm -hmm. and their relationship and all that stuff. And all those secrets build to this really delicious portrait of this family and their traditions. And those traditions are like, not only like, you know, trivia games and like the Thanksgiving football on TV and the expensive wine and all that stuff. But also some really interesting, complicated, and eyebrow-raising dynamics tied to gender roles and patriarchy mm-hmm. and, and all this all this stuff. So, like, it's a really fun story. It's really funny yes. in moments. And then it's, like, surprisingly deep. Yes, absolutely. So unexpected. And it's one of those stories where after you get to the end, you immediately want to go back and reread it. Uh, or in our case, listen to it again so that you can see the little the clues, the little Easter eggs. There's so many little things that Shannon gifted us with here. It's just, you know, just so well crafted. Yeah. And so y'all listen to Rioja as many times as you want to. Uh, <laughs> and in the meantime, a little bit about the author, 
Shannon Sanders' short fiction has also been featured in One Story, Electric Literature, Joyland, Tri-Quarterly, and elsewhere. You can read more from Shannon in the show notes. And after the story, stay tuned for Shannon in her own words, talking about the story and how it all came together. So without further ado, here's Rioja. Yay! This is Ursa, a new destination for short fiction from some of today's most thrilling writers. We're proud to present Rioja, a short story by Shannon Sanders and performed by Kaya Freitz. This story was originally published in issue 26 of Slice Magazine. This story is presented with limited commercial interruption. Thanks to the readers and listeners who support Ursa. Become an Ursa member today by subscribing in Apple Podcasts, or by going to ursastory.com slash join. You'll get exclusive episodes that you can listen to right in your favorite podcast app. And now, here's Rioja. Cecilia was asking Cole to repeat all the names yet again. She'd bought a notebook at a rest stop behind them on the interstate, and as he began the run-through for the third time, he realized she was drawing and scribbling as he went, constructing what his peripheral vision told him was a family tree. Her Tupperware containers full of green beans, the fancy wine with its neck tied up in ribbons, stood cradled on the floor between her leather boots. The rental car swallowed the highway beneath it too swiftly. So, your Aunt Pearlene... The one whose house we're going to? That's the one you call Peach, says Cecilia, pointing somewhere on the page. Yeah, said Cole. But I should call her Mrs. So-and-so? Ms. Chatwell. She kept her maiden name. Cecilia made a note on the page. Her son is Anthony, the one you grew up with, like brothers. Married. New baby. Yeah, said Cole, his hands tightening around the steering wheel. And your dad's first cousins will be here, too, and their kids, and in a couple cases also grandkids. Right. Cecilia waved her hand, with its gleaming chrome-colored fingernails, over the tree she'd drawn. Starting a generation before Peach and your dad, and all the way down, all the adults are college-educated. From Peach and your dad onward, everyone has advanced degrees, too. This one over here, she's the third black Ivy League PhD in the country. She's dead, though said Cole, scanning highway signs for the exit that would let them bypass district holiday traffic, eventually delivering them directly to Peach's suburb, just west of the city. She won't be at dinner or anything. Right, no, said Cecilia. Just for my reference. She ran a hand through her hair, meticulously blown out and hanging to her ribcage. She'd spent hours on it, straightening one tiny section at a time, till it was smooth as silk. Anyway she said, shifting a little behind her seatbelt. She cupped a hand over a corner of the tree. It glided from one area to the next as she spoke. Peach and all these ones live down here in Washington. These ones over here came out from Cincinnati. This little group, these are the vegetarians. These ones love red wine and will hopefully like the Rioja I got. These ones don't drink anything but scotch. 
These ones are the ones who started the family game night tradition, right? She had the notebook tilted in his direction. Her face turned expectantly toward his. I'm driving, I can't look right now, he said, impressed and annoyed by the accuracy of her memory. Constricted by the flowery scent that filled the car, the arresting grip of her prettiness, he narrowly managed to avoid inserting the word fucking twice. What are you doing, anyway? Why are you cataloging my relatives? Other than the omission of a particular uncle who hadn't finished high school, caught up with heroin and quick to make fatherless babies, and therefore lopped off like a gangrenous limb, Cecilia had gotten the family tree exactly right, and leaving him out wasn't her fault, really. I just want to be sure, said Cecilia, her tone rising a bit. I want to feel prepared and have things to make conversation about so I don't have to follow you around all evening like an effing duckling. Is that a problem? She shut the notebook and fiddled with her seatbelt again, situating it between the full peaks of her breasts. I don't think you need to worry about having a full dossier on every person at dinner, said Cole, keeping his tone even. I already told you, just be yourself, be polite, don't mention anything off-limits. Don't be like Madison. I told you about Madison. You told me, said Cecilia. I won't, of course. Some Thanksgivings back, Cole's cousin Anthony had brought home a girl, Madison, sweet and pretty, but dumb as a brick, which everyone had realized even before family game night, saying the most air-headed things for hours, mispronouncing words, getting so far under Peach's skin that Cole had worried his aunt might burst a blood vessel, and then the game, trivia-related, had required Madison to name some reasonable number of U.S. presidents within two minutes. She'd gotten as far as the four most recent, plus Washington and Lincoln, and one of the Roosevelts. And then she'd run out. Couldn't produce another one to save her life. A girl named Madison. Peach barely able to be civil after that. I hope the pussy is good, Cole had said to Anthony privately, an elbow to his cousin's ribcage because I have serious questions about the rest. But Cecilia would never, of course. She was a vast repository of random knowledge, her brain richly associative and hungry for details, that somehow she managed to retain even after so many wild nights in the East Village. It's too bad I won't meet your parents, she said now. Another time, said Cole. For years, his parents had spent Thanksgivings with his mother's family out west, Peach opening her home to Cole without question. Once, only once, he had experimentally spent his Thanksgiving with his half-siblings and his father's first two wives, the first Linda and the second Linda, who had formed a sort of two-woman sorority down south, where Cole Sr. had ended an entire phase of his life before Cole's had even begun. The Lindas were plenty kind, but it was a strange, stilted, confusing Thanksgiving, He'd gone back to Peaches every year thereafter. God damn it, continued Cecilia, slapping a palm to her forehead, the noise startling Cole into nearly rear-ending the car in front of them. I should have brought scotch! What the fuck, C? said Cole, easing back off the brake. Sorry, I just mean, because I got the Rioja, I made the beans with and without bacon. I did something special for everyone but the scotch faction. Their exit appeared. Cole followed it with both hands on the wheel. You're already walking in with two Tupperware containers and a bottle of wine. You're saying you think you need a fourth gift? I can't believe this, said Cecilia, 
studying her face in the passenger seat mirror, fingering her cheek. For the first time in literally ten years, a fucking zit? You don't need scotch, said Cole. There'll be scotch there. But, said Cecilia. The thing is, said Cole, you don't need to walk in with a hundred different dishes and everyone's favorite drink made to order. I would focus on game night. It's a big deal with us. They were coasting down a smaller road now, past palatial houses on lawns like football fields. Cecilia laughed throatily, her breasts bouncing under the fabric of her tunic. Wear this, don't wear that. Slay everybody in some as-yet-undetermined board game. Bring wine to be polite, but don't bring scotch because it'll seem like you're trying too hard. To be honest, she said, to be totally honest, I almost wonder if you're pulling a candidate shuffle on me. Cole tensed, the hairs standing erect on his arms. A what now? He said, steering the car into Peach's neighborhood, large Victorian houses rolling past. Cecilia cleared her throat, readjusted her seatbelt. I guess I haven't told you this one, she said. From when I was dating Gavin Kennedy? Cole made a wrong turn, realized it, threw the car into reverse. Toward the end, continued Cecilia, he invites me to some family wedding, a cousin or something, way far away from New York. I forget where. We went to a lot of weddings. Uh Uh-huh, said Cole, refraining from saying anything else. Gavin Kennedy's was the lap Cecilia had been sitting on at Cole's and her first meeting in the East Village, her beautiful face, red with laughter, a waiting bump of coke, conspicuous on the tip of her finger. So we go to this wedding, and he tells me on the way that I need to learn the Kennedy Shuffle, some line dance everyone in his family does at every big event, like the electric slide or the wobble, but their own thing they've made up. He says it's a big fucking deal to them, that all the Kennedys know the steps, but they're kind of hard to figure out, and that this is sort of the last test on the agenda. If I can figure this out, this is what Gavin tells me, as we're on the way to this wedding. Then he'll know he can marry me. "Uh Uh-huh, said Cole, trying to push thoughts of Gavin Kennedy, his broad, charming smile, out of mind. Is there a punchline here? Yes, said Cecilia. So by the time we get to this wedding... I figure Gavin is going to propose regardless, and that this is just his cute little way to do it. I mean, at this point, we've been together four years. Any other outcome would be ridiculous. So throughout the reception, I'm watching all the candidates trying to figure out the steps to the candidate shuffle. They're all going to the right, and then the left, and then backward and forward, just like it's the electric slide. But to me, it sure fucking looks like every single candidate is doing something different. Really? And Kennedys are standing up and sitting down, and I'm watching like a hawk, trying to get it. But I can't get a handle on it for even one rotation. The dance is totally different depending on whether you're looking at this or that Kennedy. And if you ask, they just laugh at you. And even when I watch Gavin for five minutes straight, I can't catch on. Because apparently there are 30,000 steps that never seem to repeat. But I figure Gavin must have a ring in his pocket regardless, so I just play along. I keep watching, I try to imitate Gavin's cousins, I do my best for literally hours, till finally I tell Gavin, my feet are killing me, and I give up. Cole saw the house, wide and handsome, with golden bricks and a gorgeously manicured lawn. And of course, I assume that if Gavin has a ring in his pocket, it won't matter whether or not I can do the candidate shuffle. So, as the night is winding down, I tell him, I guess I failed the test because I can't figure it out. And then he tells me, 
He's laughing this whole time that the Kennedy Shuffle doesn't exist. It's literally just everyone doing anything they want to within that right-left-backward-forward framework. It's a joke they play to troll non-Kennedys who come to Kennedy events. And then they all entertain themselves watching you try your best to learn the non-existent steps. Cole was silent, resentful that the specter of Gavin Kennedy had joined them on this trip down I-95. Had he been in the car this whole time, lurking in Cecilia's thoughts of meeting another man's family? And then, of course, you already know whether he wound up proposing after all that. We're here, said Cole. Remember everything we talked about, please. I do, said Cecilia, already unbuckling herself as they coasted to a stop behind a car Cole recognized as his cousin Anthony's. I won't bring up any of that stuff. Cole had tried to keep the list short. But as Thanksgiving approached, it had expanded significantly beyond the obvious do-not-mentions. He hoped that Cecilia would not bring up unnecessarily that they'd met in the cave of a bar in which Cole had found it easiest to score women like her, or that he'd pried her, over six difficult months, from her stormy entanglement with another man. Hoped she'd be discreet about her recent move to Brooklyn, into Cole's trim studio apartment, reflecting desperation on both their parts, Gavin Kennedy seemed unlikely to track her all the way from Manhattan. He'd asked her to omit her white father. I don't mean pretend he doesn't exist. Just don't make a giant proclamation about him like you always do. And to cover the Sankofa Adinkra tattoo on her forearm. To be careful with mentions of her brother who worked as a drag queen in the East Village. And on it went. This was only Cole's second time bringing a woman for Peach's inspection. They exited the rental car together. Cecilia cradling her gifts in each arm, noise from the house, relatives' voices rising and falling, met them halfway up the driveway. Do I look okay? asked Cecilia. Cole considered the hang of her loose tunic, the black fabric skimming her long legs, the supple leather of her boots. You look good, he said. The front door opened before they could knock, laughter spilling out onto the driveway. There stood Peach, soft and smiling, Various cousins peeking around to see who'd shown up now. There you are, she said, as if Cole and Cecilia were returning from a trip to the corner store. She wrapped an arm around Cole's waist and stood on her toes to peck his cheek. Looking just like Cole Sr., she added, as she always did. Happy Thanksgiving, Peach, said Cole. Warmed by her familiar powdery smell, her soft laugh lines, he felt Cecilia inch closer to him from behind. Introduce us, said Peach gently. Peach, this is Cecilia Heaven, recited Cole. See, this is my father's sister, Pearlene Chatwell. Aren't you just gorgeous, said Peach, reaching up to touch Cecilia's shoulder. You're making this old lady feel awfully petite. I've heard so much about you, returned Cecilia. This is... Really, such a pleasure for us to finally meet. She handed over the Rioja, gestured to indicate the Tupperware. Cole said you said I could bring a veggie. Aren't we lucky, said Peach, considering the wine, impressed. Cole Sr. will be sorry he missed this. Inside, the gauntlet of introductions seemed to go on forever. Relatives looking Cecilia up and down, exclaiming over her height, her loveliness, the presentation of her thoughtfully prepared green beans, Peach pressed a glass of wine into Cecilia's hand, and Cole watched alert 
as she fielded questions, giving the wine occasional thoughtful sniffs. Do you live somewhere in New York? asked a cousin from out west. We live in Brooklyn, said Cecilia, a studio in Williamsburg, she added before Cole could stop her. Cole took the glass of wine Peach now handed him, took a few deep gulps. Where did you and Cole meet? asked someone else, Anthony's wife, who wasn't Madison, the new baby squirming in her arms. A dive bar, laughed Cecilia. Cole left the foyer and found his cousin Anthony on a remote sofa in a room off the kitchen, enjoying a momentary break from the family. Good to see you, man, said Cole, lifting the bottom of his wine glass to meet Anthony's. Cute baby. Pretty girl, said Anthony, by way of reciprocation. Great tits. She ready for trivia? Know her U.S. presidents? Think so, said Cole. We'll find out soon if not. How's fatherhood? Ridiculous. Defies explanation. Both better and worse than you'd think. Peach happy? asked Cole, watching through the kitchen doorway as his aunt collected the baby from some visiting cousin, bounced and stroked it, kissed its little heart-shaped face. Happy as fuck? Shitting herself with happiness. You think she'd never seen one before? Outside my comprehension, really. Mine too, said Cole. Watching as Peach found a set of arms into which to deposit the baby again, covered its face with kisses before buzzing toward the dual ovens. Aromas, meats, and roasting vegetables, and the unexpected tang of citrus floated out from the kitchen. Cecilia appeared at Peach's side, sniffing at her wine glass, offering help. How's Cole Sr.? asked Anthony, but broke off when his wife appeared in the doorway. Diaper, she said, tapping the tip of her nose with a finger. She spun on her heel. Anthony got to his feet. I'll be back, he said to Cole. You say hi to the olds yet. They're in the living room. Cole followed Anthony out of the room and headed through the kitchen toward the living room, parting the group of women hovering around the oven. Cecilia's fingertips grazing his shoulder as he passed. In the living room, Cole Sr.'s elderly Washington cousins sat in their usual tableau with the stereo up too loud. Good to see you. Good to see all of you, said Cole yelling a little over the pounding piano jazz. Hugs, greetings, cousin Rosalie planting the imprint of her lips on his cheek. You brought a woman with you, said cousin John. I did, said Cole. Cecilia. Friend, girlfriend, fiancé, asked cousin Rosalie. Girlfriend? I saw her in the foyer. What a beautiful girl. Looks a little like your mama, really. Does she have college? Cousin Heck wanted to know. The others leaned in for the answer. College and business school. She runs marketing and curriculum development for a standardized test prep company. A what? Asked Cousin Rose Lee. Sort of like teaching, said Cole, reaching for the volume knob on the stereo. The cousins nodded, impressed. As if they'd summoned her, in came Cecilia. Her sleeves pushed up to reveal the black heart-shaped symbol on her forearm. The wine in her full glass wobbled as she slid onto the couch beside Cole. Hello, everyone, she said. Warm in here. Are we listening to Bill Evans? I like it. We were just talking about you, said Cousin Rosalie. About what a pretty, smart girl you are. Have you met Cole's mama? You look like her. I haven't yet, said Cecilia, sliding a hand behind Cole's shoulder. I hope to soon. I hear she and Cole Sr. spend Thanksgivings out west, 
I know she spends three months a year out there without him, and that he joins up with her for Thanksgiving. Have you met the Lindas? Cold Junior's sisters and brothers down south. No, unfortunately. But I love that everyone gets along so well, that they're so kind to Cole. That's an interesting tattoo, said Cousin John. Cole let out a long breath. The symbol for Sankofa, Cousin John continued. For go back and get it, West African, he nodded, approving. Cole felt a current of happiness pass through Cecilia's fingertips. Yes, exactly, she said, nodding. Not many people know it. I get asked a lot whether I made it up myself, when of course it's the opposite. I'm hugely passionate about the idea of roots, about people staying connected to where they come from. I love that we're here right now, that I'm meeting all these people Cole loves so much. Her fingers, warm and soft, tickled Cole's close-shaven scalp. Are you close to your parents? asked Cousin Rosalie. Not physically close, there in Atlanta, but we talk and visit all the time. Before Cole could comment, Cecilia had her cell phone out of her pocket and was showing the rapt trio a recent picture. The sharply dressed black woman, the impossibly proportioned white man, their willowy offspring laughing between them in miniskirts. This was on my brother's birthday last month. Your brother, said Cousin Rosalie, studying the picture. My, my. Will we have you back for Christmas? asked Cousin Heck. We'll have Cole Sr. and that wife of his here then. Cole stiffened. By Christmas, Cecilia would certainly be showing. No tunic able to hide the changes in her figure since he'd first undressed her at her apartment in the East Village. Since the days when she'd been scarce as a thousand-dollar bill, climbing into bed with him only when Gavin Kennedy had to travel. I hope so, said Cecilia. I really hope so. Here, thankfully, was Peach at the door, clanging a spoon against a copper pan, as she always did. Attention, relatives, soup's on. Everyone get moving so we have plenty of time for family game night before the lovebirds have to get back on the road. She shot a wink at Cole and Cecilia and trotted off to clang her pan in other rooms, rousing other family members. Slow movement began. Cole and Cecilia offering arms to the elderly cousins. Cousin Rose Lee lacing her fingers through Cecilia's as they made their way down to the dinner table. That's my seat, honey, said Peach gently, when Cecilia tried to lower herself into a chair at the center of the long, rectangular dining table, now covered with steaming dishes of food. Cecilia flushed, covering her mouth with one hand. Down here, said Cole guiding her by the elbow to a pair of seats in the corner, near the Scotch faction, who were all too full of mirth to pay attention to much other than the clanking of glasses and their own in-jokes. How embarrassing, said Cecilia softly, as they settled in their seats. I like it, though. She's the matriarch. Why shouldn't she have a spot that's always hers, a seat right in the middle where she can see everybody? Right, said Cole, refilling his wine glass. The Rioja was deep and oaky, worth the ridiculous price Cecilia had paid. I guess that'll be me someday, continued Cecilia, dreamily. Peach's husband stood and announced Grace, heads bowed, Cecilia pulling Cole's left hand into her lap. As Uncle Alan unspooled his lengthy prayer, mentioning each person present by name, as he always did, 
Cecilia lifted Cole's hand and pressed his palm against the firm curve of her belly, guiding silently across the fabric of her tunic, until he felt a cotton ball soft tap from within. On the other side, some member of the Scotch faction kneaded Cole's right hand painfully, making him wince. Amen, said Uncle Alan, finally. Cole did his best not to yank both hands back too quickly. Amen, echoed the crowd, heads lifting. Plates were passed, food was spooned out in heaps. Everyone exclaimed over the menu. Cecilia's delicious beans, the debut of baked fish with bright oranges and limes. Peach poured the last swallow of Rioja into her own glass and uncorked another bottle. Delicious Rioja, she called from mid-table, raising her glass in Cecilia's direction. Do I taste Viura grapes? You should, Cecilia called back over the din of flatware on dinner plates. It's a Rioja Alta, a lot more Tempranillo than Garnacha. It's a beautiful choice, hard to find. I guess that's why it's so expensive, murmured Cole. I'm glad you're enjoying it, said C, brightly. She lifted her own glass, still full, and gave it a delicate, wistful sniff. Peach had meant it when she told those who asked that she could handle the cleanup herself, that they should get on the road before dark. But various insistent helpers, her husband, her daughter-in-law, cousins, still a bit too unsteady to start the drive, lingered in the kitchen anyway, bumping into each other in their efforts to scrub and dry dishes. So Peach stole away to the living room, settled with her glass of wine on the sofa, Bill Evans still merrily tickling the ivories. Her feet ached. She needed to call her brother Cole and his wife out west. The expected Thanksgiving Day formality of wishing them a happy holiday and reporting on how their son seemed to be doing. This Cecilia he'd brought to dinner. She stalled, though, spinning the stem of the wine glass between her fingers, and finally she called the Lindas first, knowing they would be together at the first Lindas condominium in Dallas. She had loved them dearly, each of her brother's first two wives. Their lovely faces and bright laughter, her brother Cole had always hankered for pretty women with sweet dispositions. Where they'd gone wrong was in their outsized need, the way they'd each, years apart from each other, hung desperately on his arm at holiday dinners, vulnerable as caught prey. Peach had told them, the first Linda, and then the second Linda, that her brother Cole was afflicted with a certain repulsion for what seemed too available. That they might stay pretty for decades, but that it wouldn't matter to this hungry Chatwell man, who only wanted to chase. You ought to at least find a hobby, she remembered telling the second Linda, be out of the house every so often. Already too late by then, a third child heavy in that Linda's belly, her need too great. Word they'd gone right, though, was in their each being named Linda, because of course there is no word for the wives that come first. And Peach wanted Cole Jr. to think on them with reverence. They were good to her brother. They deserved a title. The Lindas answered the phone immediately, and said they were well, dining on pork loin the first Linda had marinated in soy sauce and ginger slices, a recipe Peach said she'd like to try. She told them she'd used their baked fish recipe, to delicious results and compliments from the family. They congratulated her on her first grandbaby. Between them, the Lindas themselves had eight, and thanked her again for recommending a show they'd been enjoying together on Netflix for a few weeks now. <laughs> 
not asking about her brother Cole, as they never did. What could you say about women like that? The salt of the earth? She hung up feeling refreshed, restored from a day full of trials. Then it was time to call her brother, and his wife, and they answered after many rings. Peach, said Cole, his voice deep and sonorous as a bassoon. Happy Thanksgiving, Peach, echoed the wife, whose name wasn't Linda. Tell us everything. Tell us about the girl. Peach liked her brother's wife. She was smart and well-mannered, had her act together, never a hair out of place. Loved her, really. Hadn't Peach been the one, after all, to pull aside this third wife, the non-Linda, and whisper to her the one piece of marital advice that seemed to have worked? Make yourself scarce, she'd said in a corner that first Christmas right after they'd married. Even when you're in the same place, wander a little so he has to come and find you. Watching, impressed, as not Linda seemed to actually understand that by instinct and pulled it off impressively, always inches from her husband's reaching fingertips, nodding her approval when not Linda left home for stretches of weeks or months at a time, sometimes going where she'd said she would and other times just checking into a hotel, or even sleeping in one of Peach's guest rooms, making herself scarce so that the Coles, senior and junior, couldn't get enough of her when she came back. She was a good woman, really, though God knew she couldn't cook and didn't know the first thing about wine or jazz. I'm just so curious about this Cecilia, not Linda was saying. Peach cleared her throat, shoving certain thoughts out of the way. Her brother Cole's contentment hummed its way over 3,000 miles of phone wire. She was a nice girl, she said finally. She brought green beans and an amazing wine. She was pretty, tall. Cole Jr. mentioned that she's tall. As tall as he is, really, confirmed Peach, and took a sip of her wine. Slender, too. Not so slender, though, that Peach hadn't caught a glimpse of a certain roundness in Cecilia's silhouette as the girl stood by the oven receiving serving dishes, her tunic clinging to the fullness of her lower abdomen, which might have been intentional on Cecilia's part, really. In the same vein as how after a whole evening spent pretending to nurse the same glass of Rioja, she'd finally just poured the wine down the drain, throwing a wink Peach's way. And Cole Jr. seems to like her? That's certainly the implication, said Peach. Though if he did, how did you explain his listlessly wandering the house all evening, frankly avoiding her, the most evasive Cole Jr. she'd ever known? This nephew, who, as a boy, had run up to each relative in turn, bubbling over with affection, who just last year had been radiant, loving, happy to be among family, away from the coldness of New York, and how did you explain the thing Cole Jr. had done after dinner tonight? Steering the family away from trivial pursuit. Surely in Cecilia's wheelhouse, such a smart girl. And insisting on Pictionary instead. Leading to that great unpleasantness. Cecilia's tears in the kitchen later. Cole Jr. wearing that sullen look. Unreadable, like Peach's other brother. The one who hadn't been to a Thanksgiving in years. The two of them. Cole Jr. and Cecilia, leaving just after dessert, not touching each other. I'm glad, said not Linda, as Peach's brother Cole grunted his vague agreement. I'm so glad. You know, he really doesn't bring women around us much. Peach, pretending to continue listening, propped her tired feet on the ottoman 
and thought of how she'd gotten Cecilia's phone number, using the pretense of wanting to correspond later about the green beans recipe. How easy it would be to just send a text message. But what would she say? The longer not Linda prattled on, the more drafts Peach considered and scrapped. And anyway, texting a stranger, albeit a friendly one, one wanting to be included and liked. She couldn't. Shouldn't. Instead, she'd call her brother Cole one day in six months, playing innocent, revealing nothing when he said he didn't know what Cole Jr. was up to. Hadn't heard much about Cecilia in a while. Well, thank you, said not Linda. We're so glad Cole Jr. has you while we're away. I'm glad Cole Sr. has you, Melanie, returned Peach automatically, as she always did. We'll see you two at Christmas. My name is Shannon Sanders. Rioja is one of 13 stories that make up my linked collection company, which is coming out from Grey Wolf Press in October. The story is about a couple, a fairly new couple, Cole and Cecilia, traveling back to Cole's family homestead for Thanksgiving. It's Cecilia's first time meeting most of Cole's family, and they, they each come into the, the Thanksgiving dinner with some anxieties about you know, sort of how they're going to present themselves and their their relationship to Cole's family, who has a tendency to be a little bit performative and, and judgy. Of course, complications ensue. I wrote this story in maybe 2015, early 2016. I was personally recently out of a relationship that I thought was going to lead to marriage, and I think I was maybe a couple of months from meeting the person who would become my husband eventually. And I was thinking a lot about just sort of the performance of trying to get in with someone else's family and how much that really matters ultimately if the relationship itself is not tight. I was just kind of inspired by trying to write my way through this engagement that this couple had to had to deal with going to visit Cole's family and, and sort of all of the different tricky scenarios that come up when one has to do that. So this story, and this is the case for most, if not all of the stories in the linked collection, really deals with kind of the idea of cultural inheritance. So I'm really interested in how each generation sort of has the has the potential to build on what the previous generation did. And there's always the chance that we'll do it way better than the previous generation did, learning from their mistakes. But there's also just kind of this compulsion to repeat the mistakes of the previous generation. And there's just some legacies that are really, really hard to shake. So if we saw a parent behaving in a certain way, it's really tough not to repeat that behavior. You know, like if a family is fixated on something, it's really hard not to have our behavior shaped by that. And so that was really kind of, I think, the big thing I wanted to explore was how kind of different different things that happened in previous generations in Cole's family might be echoing in Cole's relationship with Cecilia in the present. I'm also really interested in sort of situational irony. And so there's a there's a few different layers of it here because of course Cole is like so worried that Cecilia is going to mess things up. He's afraid of how she's going to come across to his family, but then we get to see that in a lot of ways she's really wonderful and he has so little to worry about. But, 
you know, in other ways, she, she's kind of done the, the most wrong thing that she can possibly do. And so I really was interested in kind of exploring all of that stuff. And challenges that I faced, there is a pretty big POV shift toward the end of the story. So the whole thing is in close third. The first maybe 80% is close to Cole's point of view. And then the final piece is close to the point of view of his aunt, the matriarch of the family who's hosting the dinner. I workshopped the story with just a, a group of readers who read a lot of my work. And they had questions about kind of whether that point of view shift was earned and whether we knew enough about that character to justify her taking over the narrative at the end of the story. So I really had to worry about whether that, which I think is kind of the major engine of the story, was working well. And then in a second pass, in the revision that I did, I had to kind of try to do things to sort of, to earn that ending. I had to try to beef up sort of the experience that we get of the character who ends up taking the reins of the story and add a couple of bits of interaction that I thought would make it a little bit more rewarding to get to see more of what she's thinking at the end. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You know, in the early days of kind of learning how to write a story, which is where I was when I was workshopping Rioja, you get a lot of dubiousness of, well, does this work? Is this really a traditional, does this work in the way that a story traditionally does? But I love it. I continue to think that that's a really fun way to, to make a story more exciting. Even if something is not conventional, if it works, it works. There are rules, you know, in writing but they're really just guidelines. And if the reader is enjoying the experience that you're giving them, they will let you break a lot of those rules. So the collection as a whole, I am loving there being so many amazing short story collections right now that just sort of unapologetically present a slice of an experience, especially those written by women of color, and just don't try to handhold the reader through understanding what that slice is. And so I love, you know, for example, so many people who have been on Ursa, by the way, but I love Zizi Packer's work and Maurice Carlos Ruffin's work, Disha Filios, of course. I love how unapologetic they are about like just, you know, plopping us right into the middle of a scene and not worrying about whether a reader is going to identify with what's important to the characters or what their what their background is. And I like to think that this story kind of fits in into that into that tradition as well. In some ways, if I were trying to talk about a story like this with friends or whatever, I would want to justify why does Cole care so much what his family thinks? You know, who cares? Some families take different forms or whatever. And why does he need to protect his right to do whatever it is he wants to do? Live with his girlfriend in Brooklyn. For purposes of this story, he comes from a family of people who care a lot about appearances and tradition. And I did not want to waste any page space justifying that. So I just kind of didn't, which I, I try to take cues from all of those giants I just mentioned.
I am a huge Danielle Evans fan, and I loved both of her collections. I think that I hope that my work is in conversation with hers because I love the delicate way that she is able to connect with young or youngish women who are kind of going through these experiences that are are both really common, but also not really talked about a lot, especially not outside of that of the demographic that they're in. I also, at the time, I was reading a lot of a short story author named Lisa Taddeo, who is pretty well known for the way that she writes about women and desire. And she has at this point a really amazing nonfiction book and a novel and most recently a short story collection, but I was reading all of her short stories and she really invades her female character's privacy. Like she writes really, really well about how women, um, I guess characters in general can self-sabotage or the ways in which desire kind of can overtake reason in some, in some cases. So I was reading a lot of her at the time and I just loved the way that she was so incisive. So I, I like to think of my work as being in conversation with, with any of the above. <laughs> I went on kind of like a little Twitter rant about this recently. I, I feel like I see a lot of writers and maybe especially women writers who self-select their way out of opportunities because they're just not willing to, they might be afraid of rejection or they might be afraid of whatever they think is on the other side of receiving um, negative feedback or whatever it is. And I really want to encourage everyone that I ever talked to about writing to kind of work on getting over that. And for me, it took a while. I mean, I, I was really scared of sending stories out to magazines or applying to different opportunities. It took a long time before I felt confident that it would be totally fine if I got rejected. And I have found that most of the time, if I apply to something or submit to something, something good comes out of it. It's maybe not an acceptance or, you know, or an opportunity, but it might be like a new friend, a valuable piece of feedback, a rejection that actually helps me make a piece better. I don't know that that's so much a writing piece of advice as it is a publishing piece of advice, but I think it, I think that it kind of applies to writing too, because, you know, you miss all of the shots that you don't take. And I think that with writing, that is, that is very much true. So write the thing that you think might not be good enough. Just do it even if you feel kind of underconfident about it and then send it somewhere, like see what happens. Rioja is written by Shannon Sanders and performed by Kaya Freitz. This story was directed by Ajua Jimma Brempong. Associate producer is Marina Lee. Ursa executive producers are Donnie Walton and Mark Armstrong. To support our work, become an Ursa member by subscribing in Apple Podcasts or by going to ursastory.com join. You'll help us fund more episodes and stories from some of today's most thrilling writers. Thanks for listening. 